right? We, we have a difficulty finding truth because we hear about, a lot about fake news, right? So what's true? What's not true? Um, let me just quote this. I don't have this up on a slide, but from a, a book called The Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken, a new book in 2021. He says this, Our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More stimulations, less synthesis. More distractions, less stillness. More pontificating and less pondering. More opinion, less research. More speaking, less listening. More to look at, less to see. And more amusements and less joy. So what we find ourselves in, in the midst of our world today. And so Proverbs grounds us in the truth and wisdom of God. How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to um, interact with one another? I I could have picked a bunch of different Proverbs. I mean, some of my my favorite Proverbs, like uh, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. But you'd already done that one on anger. But I tell you what, you you might as well just have that one on a post-it note uh, on your mirror when you wake up thinking about that. Or another one, you know, stolen water is sweet, but food eaten in secret is delicious. We could get into that one. Or how can a man carry fire next to his chest and not be burned? Or, or my, my children's favorite one, which is this. I told them this a lot. Uh, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline drives it far from them. They did not always appreciate me quoting that proverb. But it is so true. It is so true. because we, And, and not only within children, but we find that our own hearts are led astray, that, that we pursue folly. We get entangled in folly. And, and, and even the word folly is one that we use around our house, and it's not a term that we use in culture very often. You know, wisdom and folly, and, and oftentimes I would tell my children, like, that is foolishness. You know, you are entering into folly in the midst of what you're doing. And they would always say, folly, 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 folly. You know, they would just, they would, they would just know that word. Um, but wisdom, so where do we find wisdom? Uh, I have a slide here from, um, so TJ, if you could bring that slide up. So, you know, th- this idea of wisdom is this uh, from Brett McCracken. Let me just say what wisdom is. This is what he says. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge gained through various means of education. How to apply knowledge and information in everyday life. How to discern if something is true or not. How to live well in light of truth gained. Wisdom is not merely knowing the right answers. It's about living rightly. Boy, as a Presbyterian, I need to hear that, right? Because we're all about getting the right answers, but it's more than that. It's about living rightly. It's about determining which answer is best. It's a moral orientation, a developed sense and intuition for discerning right and wrong, real and fake, truth and falsehood, the ability to weigh greater and lesser goods and make complex decisions involving multiple, sometimes competing truths. Wisdom is not something you can Google or download in one fell swoop. It is accumulated over time and through experience. You go to school and you might get knowledge, but wisdom is going to take a lifetime. And in the midst of this book, The Wisdom Pyramid, like, um, he has this diagram that I find is very, very helpful. And what he has there, and hopefully you guys can see that, the, he, he, he took this from the food um, pyramid. You know, many of you went through the food pyramid you know, in terms of grains and vegetables and, you know, you're not, ha- not ha- supposed to have fats. And that's at the very top. How are you supposed to get wisdom? And, and what he says is, and, and I think this is a, just a really clever um, 
gospel paradigm for us in terms of pursuing wisdom. And at the bottom, he says, the Bible is the foundation. It's, it's our daily bread. It's where we need to be finding wisdom every day. Like, per- immersing ourselves, steeping ourselves within the Word of God every day. And that our wisdom should be there. That's where we should spend most of our time pursuing knowledge and wisdom. But then secondly, he says, you know, the local church and, and some of the tradition, like we have the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and, and the church fathers. And, and we, we see this, the local church tradition. So it's a narrowing. We should spend most of our time in the Bible, and then as it narrows up, we should go into the local church. And then the thirdly, he, as, he, as we continue up the pyramid, it says nature and beauty. He says, you know, get outside, experience general revelation. I mean, one of the things that is, is beautiful is to be outside, whether you're at the Nolan Trail or if any of you guys ever walked the Windsor Castle Trail. I mean, it's, it's stunning. It's a stunning place to go. It's an amazing place to take someone and pray with them as you walk the trail. I mean, uh, whether it's the Nolan Trail, the Windsor Castle Trail, whether it's the beach, whether it's the mountains, we see that there's a refreshing that goes to our soul, and we see the beauty of God. And then, you know, as we move up, he talks about books, and he actually says more old books than new books. You know, great books, a broad array of books. And then as he continues to narrow it up, he says the Internet you know, where you know, Google, Wikipedia, focus on trusted sources. You know, prior prioritize content recommended by wise people. That's really, really important. You know, think about where we get our information. At the very tip top, he says, use social media sparingly. Learn to live without. Too much is bad for overall health. I mean, isn't that true? But what's happened in our current culture and society is that this pyramid has been flipped upside down. And so the, the amount of time people spend looking at their phones on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and all the other, Twitter, all the other things that are out there, that's where we're getting our information from. And because we're getting these snippets of information that is not really thought out well oftentimes, we are not wise, but rather we are foolish. Let me just ask a question. Do you spend as much time in your Bible as you do on whatever various means of social media you ingest. I would say most of the time, by the way, I'm pointing fingers at myself here too, okay? I mean, do I spend as much time reading the Word? And I'm a pastor. Like, this is my job. Do I spend as much time in the Word of God on a daily basis as perusing? And, And I tell you what, it's really, really easy to get sucked in to social media. It's really easy to just, you know, get on the internet and get sucked in. And yet the, the book of Proverbs gives us measured disciplines. And it helps us to understand what is right from wrong. So anyway, I just thought this was really, really helpful. Um, but again, as, as we look at what wisdom is and what it's found, we find that we find it in the book of Proverbs. We find it in the Psalms. We find it all throughout Scripture. But today we're going to look at self-control. That was all by way of introduction. So self-control. So we're in Proverbs 25, 28. I love this proverb. So hear the word of the Lord. It's it's, it's a brief uh, reading. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Well, what we find there very, very simply is this is that when someone does not exhibit self-control, 
they are likened, you know, this, this simile there is a city broken into and left without walls. And in the ancient world, walls were your primary means of defense. If you didn't have walls up in your city, then your city could be ravished or ravaged by one or two, you know, villains or, you know, um, people who are going to take it over, right? But if you have strong, stout walls on your city, then you might have one or two people come up against the walls, but all you got to go is, hey, is the door locked? We're good. There might be one or two guys on a horse out there riding around, and they seem like bad guys, but if we're in a, a city with 20-foot walls, 10-foot thick, and we're in the city, we have nothing to worry about. And so the ancient writer is saying this. He's saying building up walls is a good thing. Now, culturally, in the last like 30 or 40 years, we always hear about tearing down walls, right? Like we want to tear down the walls of relational discord or, or some of the conflict. But here, the writer of Proverbs is saying we need to be building a wall. And what is that wall? That wall is a wall of self-control. And what he says is, is that when you don't have self-control, it's like a city broken into and left without walls. Those people have come in, they have ravaged the city, you are undone, and you are unable to live a life that really resembles a life of faith and trust in the Lord. As a matter of fact, you're living a life of, of fear. And probably you're living a life of anger and, and fear and anxiety. Anybody here ever struggle with anxiety? Anybody here so worried sometimes that, um, I mean, I, I've had panic attacks before. I've been so anxious that, you know, my heart begins to flutter. And, and I tell you what, when you're in the midst of a panic attack or you're in the midst of an anxious moment, you feel like you are in a dreadful spiral and you are out of control. And yet what God's word says is a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So let me tell you why this proverb is, is significant to me. My son, uh, Benjamin, who's now 22, just got married, um, is, is um, when I was, when he was growing up, I coached a lot of baseball. And he's a pretty good baseball player. He, he threw lefty, he hit lefty, he's a big kid, he's a lot bigger than I am. And he would get on the mound, and I coached him all the way up through high school. And he would get on the mound, and he would throw pitches. And sometimes there'd be an error behind him, like maybe the shortstop makes an error to first base. Um, and he would get so mad. I mean, I could just see this visible, like, oh, I can't believe this. And, or he would be pitching, and I would see him pitching, and the, and the umpire was squeezing him. And if you don't know what that image is, the umpire is squeezing him, meaning that it's really a strike, or it certainly looks like a strike, but he's not getting the call. And so all of a sudden, the umpire is squeezing him, and I could just see him getting more and more frustrated as he was pitching, whether it was an error behind him or whether he was being squeezed, or quite frankly, he was just having a bad day. He was not that great that day, and he was struggling in himself, and I could see it. I could just, and, and he wears his emotion on his sleeves, and he's just getting more and more frustrated. And what I found was that there was, there was a man named Patrick, or Brian O'Connor, and Brian O'Connor is the baseball coach for the University of Virginia. And Brian O'Connor, uh, I wore a UVA tie, I didn't mean to. I'm a JMU guy. Uh, so anyway, so, so Brian O'Connor does this. If a pitcher on his team throws two balls in a row, he makes that pitcher come off the mound and go all and take a walk all the way around the mound to gather himself. Two balls in a row. If you pitch two balls in a row, you're coming off the mound and you are taking the walk. 
And I would call that walk the walk of self-control, the walk of gathering yourself. So if you walk four, a batter on four pitches, you're just walking. And what I find is there's been a couple times where UVA baseball has been on the College World Series, and they never show the walk around the mound. But, but if you watch, every once in a while you can see it. Two balls in a row, you're taking the walk. And so I went to Benjamin, and I used this proverb, and I said, Son, you have lost control of yourself on the mound. You are not able to focus, to concentrate, and to do what you are called to do on the mound, pitching a baseball. And so I enacted what I called the walk around. So I didn't always do it with two balls because he'd be, you know, like, I don't know, he'd have like 10,000 steps sometimes, you know. But what I would do is I would look over him and I'd say, hey, Ben. And I'd just give him one of these. And he'd step off the mound and he'd call time and he would walk around. And I had an umpire one time tell me, say, what, what are you doing? I said, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls, which totally confounds the umpire. Totally confounds the umpire. But what he was doing is he was gathering himself, gathering himself. And, and I, I've used that proverb, Proverbs 25, 28. I've used it, you know, I, I don't know if, um, I've used it to all my baseball players, but I've used it even broader than that. I'm, I'm, I'm a reserve chaplain at Langley Air Force Base. And so there are many times where I get to sort, sort of give a thought of the day. Um, at different commanders' meetings and commanders' calls and things like that. And, and I have, like, you know, almost, almost all my thoughts of the day, because I only get about 60 to 90 seconds. I don't get, like, 30 minutes to preach at a commander's call. And they'll say, hey, do you have a word for us? And I'm like, I sure do. You know, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. You know, or I'll use a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I will just use exact proverbs in the midst of that commander's call because it is the wisdom of God for the flourishing of his people. But self-control, right? So that's what self-control is. At least that's what it's likened to in Scripture. Um, let, let me um, read a definition from Jerry Bridges. So I think we have that up there too. So Jerry Bridges, um, who's now in glory, uh, but one of my heroes, has, says this. He says, Self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. That's how Jerry Bridges described it. Again, let me, let me just... So self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. So the idea... Let me just work through some questions here with regard to self-control. First, who needs it? Who needs self-control? Well, let's turn over to the book of Titus. You know, let's just turn over to the book of Titus. We um, read in our assurance of pardon, you know, from this today. But Titus um, actually addresses who needs self-control. And, the fir- and, and I, I wanna, I'm going to read it backwards for a second just because I think it's really, really funny. Um, this particular Bible is coming out on me, so I have to be really careful with it. So Titus is, is a book written to the early church. Paul writing to his protege, Titus, and he's saying, here's how you set up the church. So teach in accord, what is in, in, in accord with sound doctrine. And here's what he has to say. He says, young men, he goes, young men, here's what they need. He says one thing. He goes, they need self-control. That's what he says. Likewise, urge the younger men, in verse 6 of chapter 2, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's all he says. So if you're a young man here, and I don't know if you place yourself in the young man category or not, you need self-control. You need it. Now, if you think about this, um, you know, 
But what about other people, right? What about other people who are, who are meant to have this? Well, in, in verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love and steadfastness. So they too, so if you're a man, if you're, and I know our culture's got all kinds of problems with that today, okay, but if you're a man, you need self-control. That's just what it is if you're a man. But if you're a lady here, you don't get off the hook either. Because when you look at what it has to say, um, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive, and it keeps going on, right? So there it says that the older ladies are supposed to teach the younger women in the church how to be self-controlled. And we all know that you can't teach what you are not. And so they're saying that you women who have self-control, you women who have exhibited self-control in the midst of your life, you are then to do and to teach younger women how to exhibit self-control in the midst of their life as well. So quite frankly, nobody gets off the hook here, right? Who needs it? You know, younger younger men, older men. Younger women, older women. We all need self-control. That's what Titus says. But why do we struggle with self-control? Why? Well, there's, there's a couple reasons. Let, let, me, let me dive into this. You know, one of which is the world's message is we live in a me-oriented society. And we are told that what we want is the most important thing to me. Have you seen that? I, I see it in um, um, there's th- this um, Disney movie. That where they have these little seagulls, and these little seagulls are trying to get like one fish. And what the seagulls are saying over and over again is, mine, 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 mine. Or, quite frankly, you could go over to the nursery. And, and by the way, if, if you're, you're, you're serving the nursery, God bless you. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, there's a special place in heaven for you. Uh, so, but if you're in the nursery, you notice that little, small children are oftentimes taking toys from one, one another. Matter of fact, my daughter, who, t- who oftentimes is, is babysitting, she'll say, you know, this, she was in the nursery last week at Hope, and she said this, this one little boy who was maybe like two and a half, as he was racing by, as he's racing by, he sees a child about a year and a half who has a toy that he doesn't have in his hand. So as he's racing by, he grabs the toy, not because he wants it, but because he needs to own it. And he does not want anyone else to have any joy other than himself. So he grabs it, and and she says, whoa, whoa, whoa. So she stopped, and she corrected the folly in the midst of the nursery. And I appreciate that about my daughter, because like kids don't get away with anything, because she babysits these kids on a regular basis. She goes, no, 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 we don't take that. He didn't even want it. He just wanted it because somebody else had it. One of the struggles that we have with self-control is because we are selfish. We are plagued by sin. Plagued by it. We are tempted to lose control. And we are tempted to lose control, whether it is our own flesh, whether it is from the devil, or it is from the world. That is the, the unholy trinity that we speak of. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That are competing against us, that want us to trip us up, who want us to fail. And they're saying, no, no, you don't have to have self-control. Rather, lose control. So where do we lose self-control? Let me give you a couple places. I think there are two places that I'm going I'm to focus in on. One is intake and one is relationships. 
So intake, right? So when we're, we're doing intake, think about this. Um, food. I, I struggle with this, all right? Matter of fact, everybody in my family struggles with this. We all have a genetic disorder. Based upon the weight that we want to be, we are about eight inches too short. I should really be about six foot seven is really what, what I should be, but I'm not, okay? In my family, you know, food was always something that, that we, we loved, and it was, it was junk food, it was fried food, it was candy. I will tell you that, that oftentimes in our, in our family, I often thought that diabetes was not something to run away from, but it was a goal that we had as a family. You know, like that's what we're trying to pursue. And so food is a big deal. And, you know, for, for, for many of you, I don't know if um, many of you have struggled with this, but I do. I struggle with this. I don't think I can pop the top of a can of Pringles and put it away without... It. Anybody here... All right. Anybody here ever ate a whole can of Pringles? I mean, yeah, they're so good. It's right from the devil. Right from the devil. I mean, I open that... And I don't mean like the little like snack one because like why would I buy the snack one for a dollar when I can get the big one for a dollar fifty? because I can rationalize my own sin. I'm really, really good at it. Matter of fact, some of you... Some of you have done this. That how many of you knew that if you continued to eat that way at a particular meal or, or a particular piece of cake, pie, your steak, whatever it was, that you would feel bad, but you did it anyway? How about this? You literally counted the cost of your pain later on and said, this momentary happiness is worth the pain that I will have later. Some of you have done that. I have done that. And what we do is, because we're, we're rationalizers of our own lack of self-control, our own sinfulness, some of us will actually use Bible verses to actually work this out. Like, meaning like this, okay? We can actually say, like, we'll go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, and say, go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Take that out of context, and you will go over the cliff, Okay? Or you use that one, and then you, you tie it in the list. They go, well, maybe sometime between me eating in excess and the pain that I will have, Jesus will return because nobody knows the day or the hour, and so I'm just being a faithful Christian. I mean, we rationalize, we cajole, we wrangle Scripture so that it meets our needs and what we want to do. But not just in about intake. I mean, I talked about it before. But how many of us are intaking, you know, like media, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? How many of us are, are binge-watching things on Hulu or Netflix or Peacock or Disney or things that will come into our home that will not be beneficial? And we literally have a lack of self-control to turn it off. How many of us are so attached and tethered to our phones that we can't enjoy a date night out with our spouse because we, we feel like we have to be checking our phone? I mean, and, and I'm guilty of this because, you know, I've got this watch, you know, that also is tethered to my phone, and so I'll be on a date with my wife. And you know how I can ruin a date with my wife? I can check my watch for the text that I'm receiving. How many spouses are just so frustrated at their spouse's use of their smartphone? I mean, how many? Or your children's use of their smartphone? Or, quite frankly, the driver in front of you's use with their smartphone? How many of you frustrated by that? And I will tell you that it takes, and, and I can, you know, and, and here's how I justify checking my watch when I'm on a date. I go, maybe it's one of our children texting me. 
When our children, they text their mama. They don't text me. But I keep checking my phone, you know? Like, well, maybe it's one of the kids. You know, now, uh, granted, you know, sometimes Katie does leave her phone off and she forgets it and other things. But, but most of the time, and so I, I rationalize my, my distraction and say it's responsibility. I say that I must do this because I'm being responsible, a responsible father and husband protecting and caring. And you know what it's not? It's just distracting me. It's a lack of self-control, a total lack of self-control. One of the best things I can do is just leave my watch at home, leave my phone alone, you know, keep it in the car, let my wife bring her phone and say, I'm done. One of the best things that I, I, I do, and even as a, you know, a pastor, you know, I turn my phone off at 9 o'clock. Everybody in my church knows that. I turn it off at 9 o'clock. And they're like, well, pastor, what happens if there's an emergency? I, was like, I would call 911 if I were you. That's, that's what I would call. 911. If it's a true emergency, 911. I was like, well, well, what if we really need to get a hold of you? I was like, well, my wife sleeps with her phone next to her bed because we do have children at you know, college and other stuff. I said, but I turn my phone off. If you really, really need to get me, you wake my wife up. You don't have to think about that one. So whether it's, you know, turning it off, I mean, Netflix, all these other things that we struggle with, this, this idea of what we're intaking. I would say that the, the two greatest influencers in our lives are our friends and what we read. And really what we're reading now has changed a little bit because it's what we're intaking, whether it's a podcast, whether it's Netflix, whether it's internet. But it's, it used to be this, like 100 years ago, we could say the two greatest influences in your life are who you're with and what you read. What are you reading are you taking in more of the Word of God? Are you taking in more of good books? Are you taking at the very top a sugar-laden diet that will leave you with diabetes of the soul? Relationships. Let's talk about relationships and self-control. Think about your lack of self-control and the damage that it is doing in the relationships that you have. First, when you lack self-control, the witness you have for Jesus to those who are perishing is diminished. How can we rant and rave and be involved in coarse joking and vulgar language and lack self-control with regard to our speech and our thoughts in our workplace and think that we have any chance of bringing the gospel to bear in the life of that lost individual? a lack of self-control. And, and you know, a lot of you guys, who, who works at the shipyard? You know, anybody work at the shipyard? Okay. Shipyard, it's a really kind place, right? You know, it's a very kind place. Everybody uses just really, really, the King's English is used there very well, you know? I mean, um, or if you work in the military, you work, you work, you know, if you're in the military, I mean, there's a, there's a term, swear like a sailor, Right? Like cuss like a sailor. I mean, all of those things. That's a lack of self-control. We have better words and we have better, you know, ways to express ourselves, but it's laziness in the midst of our lives and it's a lack of self-control. Worrying about what other people think. How about this one? Self-control with regard to the love that you are supposed to have with your family. Those who you are called to love the most. Oftentimes, our lack of self-control will get in the way of that relationship. Specifically, and self-control speaks about a lot of different areas here. How about when you're frustrated, 
when you're frustrated with your children or with your spouse and it comes out in anger. Anybody here ever spoken an angry word to somebody that they are called to love the most? If you're alive, if you're alive, there should be like the wave going on. I know we're Presbyterians, but everybody should be like up in the air like, yes, that's what I've struggled with. Because maybe you've had a bad day at work or you've had a bad day with other people, but in the midst of that, you come home and you take it out on your spouse or you take it out on your children. Man, it's hard. And our lack of self-control is harming the relationships that we have with our our little ones, with our, our spouses, those that we are called to protect and nurture relationally. But I would say that a lack of self-control is also hurting our relationship with God in this way. When we allow unbridled access to social media and to other forms of wisdom culturally that are apart from the word of God, then it hurts our relationship with the Lord and we begin to feel distant from him. The more that we intake foolish things, the more that we feel distant from the Lord. So self-control is a a, a big deal. Self-control in the midst of our um, witness, in the midst of our families, but also in the midst of our devotion. Now, I want to say this about self-control after intake and relationships, that that I'm not calling us to be stoic here. Okay, self-control does not mean that you become a stoic. And, you know, being stoic is, is you're always calm and without any emotion. When you're, when you're stoic, you don't show what you're feeling, and you also accept whatever is happening. The noun stoic is a person who's not very emotional. That's kind of how we talk about it. But here, here's what I'm saying. You know who embodied self-control? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he got angry. But it was a measured anger. Are we measuring what we're doing? Are we exhibiting self-control even in the midst of our anger? And again, righteous anger is seldom... We don't have that very often, right? I mean, righteous anger is often uh, in, biblically to be depicted towards when someone dishonors God and the glory of God. My anger is when somebody dishonors me or someone I love oftentimes. So again, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus embodied self-control, but he was not a stoic in terms of his personality. So we should have joy. We should have frustration and anger when we see things that are just wicked in this world. I mean, to to have self-control does not mean that there is not an anger that rises up within you when you hear things like child sex trafficking. When you hear that term, there should be a righteous anger that wells up within your soul. However, self-control will say, how do we eradicate this in the right way? How do we do that? That's That's the exercise of wisdom in the midst of our lives. And that's why we run to the book of Proverbs. Now, let me, let me go back to um, the idea of self-control and, and Jerry Bridges' um, definition. Jerry Bridges, again, says this about self-control. He says, um, self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. Now, let, let me key in on his definition. I know I'm preaching from Jerry Bridges, but he'll, he'll forgive me. You know, he says, under the direction of sound judgment. Now, what is that sound judgment that we are called to have? And I would say, as the people of God, that is called the Holy Spirit working in and through us. We, we think about this 
um, with regard to the, the catechisms. You know, the, the larger um, catechism, question 32, how is the grace of God manifested in the second covenant? And the second part of this says, he gives his Holy Spirit to all his chosen ones to work that faith into them, along with all the other saving graces, and to enable them all types of holy obedience as the evidence of the truth of their faith and their thankfulness to God and as the path that he has appointed to them for salvation. I love what the the, the catechism says there. To enable them to all types of holy obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you are a child of God, you have been blessed with the Holy Spirit. And if we are lacking in self-control, you know what we are called to do? Pray (laughs) and ask the Lord to equip us and to empower us by the power of the Holy Spirit to turn off the distractions, to to have self-control in our relationships with our spouse, not to become angry. I mean, many of you have, have, let me just, I'm going to rabbit trail real quick. Many of you have young children, and I will tell you that if you spend your early part of the day in the Word of God and in prayer, you will be a better parent to that small child that will annoy you to no end. I mean, how many of you guys think that small children, at times, can be very annoying? I don't mean grandparents. Grandparents are like, oh, they're perfect. Yeah, they don't do anything, you know. But I'm, I'm talking about, I mean, I mean, sometimes small children, but I will tell you this, in, in the course of my life, in the course of practice, when I would get up and have my time in the Word of God and pray, I will tell you that, that my, my ability to love my child well in the midst of annoying, messy situations was so much better. And that is the Holy Spirit working itself out in my own life. And there are days when I woke up tired, or some of you, (laughs) you know, when when you're woken up by the child who is staring at you. Not only being frightened, you know, because somebody's staring at you. I don't know if any of you ever experienced this, you know. the, The child just comes and they're staring at you. And you wake up and they're looking at you. And you're like, oh my goodness, what happened? And then throughout the day, if I have not spent time in the Word, if I am not in step with the Spirit, which is what Galatians 5, after the fruit of the Spirit, talks about, keep in step with the Spirit, then I I tend to lose self-control, and I become angry and frustrated, and I become kind of mouthy, and, and I'm just not a very pleasant individual to be around. But the Holy Spirit, I think, is what we need to be praying for, that, that we would be led by that we would keep in step with the Spirit. Now, many of you, um, let me just sum it up in this way as, 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 we, as I conclude. We're going to fail at this, right? We're going to fail at having self-control. We're going to eat a whole can of Pringles. We're going to say mean things to our spouse. We're going to say, you know, or, or be mean sometimes or frustrated with our children when, when we shouldn't be. We're going to destroy our witness and in the midst of that, there's, there's a sense in which we, we just look at ourselves and we go, I failed, I failed, I failed. And in the midst of failing, that's when we run to Jesus. Because Jesus never failed. And Jesus also says that everything that I did that was perfect is now credited to your account. And all of the wickedness that you have ever done, all the poor choice of words, all of the, the poor actions, all of the failures that you have had, He takes upon himself at the cross. He takes upon himself our sin, 
And he gives to us his righteousness, a foreign righteousness, his robes of righteousness, so that when the Father sees us by faith in Jesus, he sees his beloved Son, who has never lacked self-control. I would pray that the Holy Spirit would bring about uh, a guilt within us because of our lack of self-control that leads to repentance and faith in Jesus, rather than a guilt that leads us to shame and despair because that is the fruit of Satan. That's where Satan comes in and leads us to despair. So if you failed, run to Jesus. If you're struggling, pray to the Spirit to help you. And find wisdom within the Word of God. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and without walls. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are thankful for the way that you love us and care for us. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us people of self-control. Father, make us people who love Jesus, who pursue your word, and love each other well. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.